to season two of the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brad Fullerton, alongside fellow co-host, Tony Capasso. Both Tony and I are practicing trainee sport and exercise psychologists and use our experience and knowledge to bring sports psychology and wellbeing concepts to life. But we don't do this alone. We speak to highly specialised guests who also share their personal and professional experiences with wellbeing and sports psychology. On the pod, we encourage listeners interested in all things sport to tune in whilst we provide insight on what working in the world of sport is like. We ask our guests the right questions to provide you with a deep dive into their specialised area of expertise and hope that after listening to each episode that you've taken something away with you. We want to redefine what making it in sport looks like. We hope that by speaking to guests who have made a successful career in sport, we can do just that. Now, let's get into another episode of the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. We're back for our third episode of season two. We hope you've enjoyed the first two episodes. We've got myself and Tony and a special guest, but we'll introduce him in a little bit. Of course, I want to speak to Tony first. How are you, mate? Yeah, really good, thanks. Um, even more buzzing this week because we've had some really good reception already from season two. So, um, yeah, really happy and excited to see what the rest of the season has to offer. And, yeah, excited for this episode as well. Yeah, I mean, you've been pushing the, the, the promotion of the latest episode, so thanks for that, and it seems we've had some good feedback. Our guest for today's episode is Connor Doan. He is an ex-Stirling uni scholar, played for the first team at Stirling, and then got a move to Bonnie Rig Rose, where he currently is playing. Connor also, like myself and Tony, graduated from Stirling's MSc Psychology of Sport, so of course... We want to get chatting a bit to Connor, so I'll bring you in now, mate. How are you doing? I'm all right, lads. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Ready to go. I mean, you've got your your questions. I'm sure you've been studying them for the last like two weeks right. or since we last chatted. So I think we'll, we'll... Back at uni, eh? <laughs> Aye, no pressure, mate. No pressure. <laughs> so I think we'll just get cracking with our questions, then, mate. Uh, our first one, like we always like to ask our guests, is. Just for you to tell us a bit about your experiences in sport growing up. So, kind of mentioned the level you played at a uni, but leading up to that point, tell us about your experiences in football and you know what sort of level you played at. I so I actually grew up down south, just down in Liverpool, um, and I've been playing football so, ever since I could walk. Really, my dad, uh, he was really into football, and obviously that kind of got me into it as well. And then we moved up to Scotland, moved up to Montrose and I just kind of just played boys level, like just on the Sundays and that. And then I think when I was about 14, 15, I went for a few trials. I think I was on trial at Aberdeen uh, for about a week and nothing came of that. And then there was some trials at Montrose and then I was lucky enough to get into the pro youth at Montrose there for the under 15s and kind of played there under 15s, 16s, 17s. Unfortunately, again, nothing came of that. And then I was junior level at Montrose. Uh, I had an SNC coach at the time, 
and luckily enough for me, he was kind of coaching at the Montrose junior team. So I went there for a couple of seasons and then I heard about the kind of the football side of things from Stirling Uni because obviously I did want to go to uni and the fact that uh, Stirling had such a good kind of football programme that swayed me to kind of apply there. And then again, I was lucky enough to get accepted, join the football team, play there for four years and then, yeah, now I'm playing for Bonnie Rig Rose in League 2. Amazing, mate. Cheers for that. And uh, a lot kind of to pick apart there. You're on trial at different teams and there's probably a lot of transitions within that. And then how it's kind of eventually led to a sort of successful career through uni and onto Montrose, which we can pick up on a little bit later. I mean, Connor, you're similar ages to myself and Tony. Uh, so our next question is probably a similar response to, to what we might have to this question. But just wanted to know... Like as an athlete, what were your personal experiences with well-being and like sports psychology when you were sort of growing up? And I suppose as you're still playing, what are your personal experiences with it now? Has there been much of a shift in relation to that? Um, I feel like at the time it's hard to kind of notice any kind of psychological impact on your well-being or anything like that that kind of football has on you. It's mm. more kind of looking back, you realise, oh yeah, maybe that was, maybe that kind of impacted me there, maybe that impacted me there. But you hear it all the time in football, like it's such a mental game. Like you hear all the pros say that as well. Like that's kind of what makes the difference between making it and not making it. And like that's not me saying I've made it in any sense, but it just shows that it's such an important part of the game. And I think for a long time it wasn't, didn't really have much emphasis being put on it. Obviously now recently there's a lot more emphasis being put on it and kind of the top, top teams have been kind of working with it for a while now. But And it's slowly, it's kind of slowly getting more accepted in kind of the lower leagues of football and that as well. It is a massive part of the game. I'd say from my personal experiences, obviously for the, uh, for the four years at still in uni, you know, we, we kind of played two games a week like a full-time team and I think at the end of my last season I'd played like 55 games and at a time you're just kind of playing through it and you don't mm. even realise when you look back you're kind of thinking well that was that was a lot look back and think about how that kind of affected your well-being and stuff like that um, even last season like we, I'd say Bonnie Rig we were kind of in a relegation battle from kind of after the first we started the season really well and then we kind of dipped in form and kind of struggled to get back to that form. And then that kind of put us in a difficult position at the bottom of the league and, you know, kind of fighting for points every week. That kind of puts you in a in a difficult, difficult situation, like for your well-being and stuff like that. It's just how do you kind of motivate yourself and kind of keep yourself going there? So I'd say they're, they're my most recent experiences with the kind of well-being and how it's kind of been affected by football. But I think even at my kind of level with the pro youths at Montrose, there wasn't anything to do with kind of the psychology side. Even at the uni, I'd say, like, obviously at Bonnerig as well, we've got the kind of like your chaplain, who, like, if you're kind of struggling with anything on the mental side, you can go and speak to there. But no offence to them, I don't think they're that qualified for the kind of sports side of it. 
I think they're more just thinking kind of you as a person, like how are you supported uh, through the team, but there's no kind of specialist sports psychologist that I've kind of been involved with. It's mainly been the sports science side of it and the physical aspect of the game, but like I said now, I think there's a lot more uh, a lot more importance being put on the mental side. Yeah, cheers for that, mate. I think one thing I'm I'm picking out from that is that probably lack of like a designated person or group of people <clears throat> for psychology support. Uh, you know, you mentioned yeah. the chaplain, and that's something I've actually not heard about uh, before. So, I mean, firstly, could you just tell us? A little bit more about that role. It's just something I'm unfamiliar with. I so I I didn't really know anything of it either before I joined the unit. But um, we had Gary who kind of worked as our chaplain, and he worked um, I think he worked in the church as well. And he was yeah. he was he was such a good guy. And he kind of just came in at the start of every season, introduced himself to the new boys, kind of reiterated the fact that you know if anything was struggling with anything. Um, he was kind of the guy that you could go and you could go and speak to, you know. Obviously, things would stay confidential between uh, whoever it was and him. And I think it was just more, like I said, I don't think it was specifically associated with the sport, or it, it didn't feel that way anyway. In my personal experience, I I never went and really spoke to him. Um, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure boys did kind of utilize, you know, the services that he was kind of putting on. But like I said, I don't think that was specifically uh, sport related to the team. I think it was just more kind of in general, you know, like if you're feeling mm-hmm. down or if you're feeling overwhelmed or stuff like that. He was he was kind of the guy for there. And we've we've got the same same at Bonnyrigg now as well. But it's not specific to sport. I don't think, and it's kind of. You're just there if you need it. So it's kind of you, if you are need, kind of expected to go and speak to them. It's not like there's sports psychology workshops and kind of mental skills training or anything like that, which obviously we all know from doing our masters and that it's it's yep. kind of a massive part. It's not. I think a lot of people think sports psychology is just kind of there to fix a problem when actually you can use it to kind of gain that extra one two percent in your game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I really like that um, assessment there, and it's similar to. I think it's a it's a big thing that we're trying to implement at the Young Player Wellbeing Academy, where it's being proactive rather than reactive um, to yeah. with when it comes to players' well-being and uh, even their welfare as well. But when it comes to their, you know well-being and, and also helping them with the performance side that psychology offers, uh, brings to the table too. Um, so I really like that, and just interested as well because you sort of spoke about how. It's hard when you're going through it as a young player growing up or even when you're in a, a slightly older age, um, actually realising that you could be going through like a tough period of time there and you, when you realise the sort of pressure that you're under, it's not until you do sit back and reflect on it that you perhaps realise, oh, I could have done with a little bit of support. So I was just wondering, especially with your knowledge that you've managed to gain through um, attending the master's course, um, have you sort of reflected on some of your experiences and thought, I wish I'd had received some, you know, support, whether that be through a well-being coach or a sports psychologist. Yeah, I think there's definitely times where I feel like I could have, you know, benefited from that kind of support. But at the same time, kind of what I spoke about earlier, where the sports psychology side of it is only just kind of 
get getting accepted in football just now, or more so just now than before. And get there was kind of a stigma around the kind of sports psychology and support that footballers would receive. And I was kind of speaking to one of my pals who I used to play with at the uni about it. And it was it was kind of you probably felt at the time, yeah, you could do a support, but at the same time you just it's weird in your head. You like you just want to get on with it. You know what I mean? You just want to focus on the next training session, focus on the next game, you know. We were training so often and playing so often, I didn't really think, especially studying uni as well, I didn't really think I had time to kind of go and seek out that support. Whereas I feel like if someone was kind of there and was kind of offering that specialist support and kind of sports psychology and the mental skills training, I would have, I would have definitely taken it. But I think I probably would have needed it um, back when I was younger as well, when I kind of got released from Montrose. I think uh, our whole team um, reached that under-17s level because we were under-15s, under-17s, and then there was nothing. And then there was kind of the first team. So that was quite a big jump, you know, from being, you know, like an underdeveloped, kind of teenager trying to make that jump from under 17s boys football all the way up to first team football and it it felt quite rubbish at the time because you're thinking oh the club's just you know letting go of what 20 odd players not keeping anyone on but I think at the time as well Montrose were at a point uh, in the season where they were kind of battling relegation from the league two kind of dropping down to the Lowland or Highland League it would have been and then, obviously, from my experience last season of being in a relegation battle, you kind of understand the fact that why why would they take, you know, these under-17s into their team when they're just wanting, like, they're fighting to stay alive? And I think looking back on that um, and understanding that has kind of helped me, helped me deal with it. But, yeah, at the time, I definitely felt kind of, I don't know, stuck, maybe. I would have said that's kind of a good way of describing it, like, I feel like when you're that age as well and you're playing pro youth football, you kind of build up in your head of how things are going to go and you think everyone's going to be playing and simple and you're going to go from 15s to 17s. You're going to go from 17s to the first team. You're going to play in the first team, get a move, you know, and you kind of you kind of snowball in your head positively. But then as mm-hmm. soon as you get released, you start snowballing your head negatively and you're like, right, if I can't play here, I'm not going to play there. Is there any point in me still playing? You know, I'm dropping from pro youth level to junior level. Am I just going to keep on dropping? So you kind of, it's kind of hard to be positive at that point. And I think, like you say, having someone designated to kind of support you through that stage would have definitely been beneficial. And, you know, my pals have done their dissertations on support that athletes get from being released and support that athletes get when retiring and all that and they all say the same thing that if they have someone kind of designated there to kind of help you through that process they would have definitely definitely benefited from it yeah that's brilliant and um, I think what I really like there is you sort of said you know you, you felt a bit stuck during that time I think there's a word you used there I think it's it's it's, it's great that that's the sort of word you use I think again it's that stigma people think are oh, like I'm not uh you know I've, I've not got anxiety i'm not anxious i'm not feeling really like 
in a depressive mood so I don't need a sports psychologist it's like no that's not what it's all about it's actually is helping people with those periods of time where there is a slight struggle and again using that proactive you know being proactive to get that support in early um so yeah, I really like that yeah really good discussion there it's great yeah that was that's quality <clears throat> Connor to be fair um yeah probably just moved on to question three there which is which is class I mean just just to pull it apart what um I liked the, the part that you said about like you snowballing like positively so like oh I'm, I'm making these jumps I'm making these jumps like oh this is going to work out this is going to work out and then it's almost like by like, all of a sudden it doesn't work out and when mm. you don't have like the coping strategies to deal with that challenge then that leads to that sort of negative snowball like you said which is probably why you hear some of the like the horror stories almost about people who were released from an academy setup and then they just lost their way they completely lost their identity at a certain age and they really just struggle to deal with that almost for the rest of their life um so importantly like you said there should be someone to support them through that process but in my knowledge of like transition support like the support should start prior to the the transition itself like it should be in place for like i don't know say like a couple of seasons a season so on the young player wellbeing academy we're trying to educate athletes around coping strategies to deal with challenges that they face and as wellbeing coaches we hope that we are part of that sort of coping strategy i suppose as part of their support network so that when the challenge does come if they aren't able to navigate it successfully uh, then they're able to sort of chat it through uh, with us as a sort of designated sort of coach so yeah it's interesting how the work that we've been doing over the last year reflects well on your own like personal experiences or preferences for how psychology should be used so uh yeah, yeah. it's just interesting to see the the parallels the parallels yeah, with that i think it's a it's definitely a good thing like what you guys are doing and um i think going back to what tony was saying like i think clubs can definitely be proactive about it especially in the youth setup because I think a lot of clubs and a lot of managers will know for quite quite a while leading up to it, you know, who they're going to keep on and who they're kind of going to release from the club. And I think there's a lot of steps you can take to be proactive about it and kind of put that player's well-being first. And obviously working with you guys and working with the player and maybe if it's already finding options for that player and kind of just sitting down and chatting to them and just basically being like, look, this isn't the be-all and end-all. You've got these options here. You've got these options there. I think I would have definitely benefited from that because, like I said, I just felt as if that was it and I didn't really know where to go from there. Yeah. Yeah, cheers for sharing that, mate. Uh, probably moves us on nicely to our, our next question, which is tied into what we are just speaking about. But... Do you think, in your experience, clubs in Scotland are doing enough to support ex-players after they're released? Um, I think at the time I thought, nah, I, I didn't really think that um, there was that much the clubs were doing. But now being part of the, kind of being part of the setup and being part of the PFA, I've kind of realised that at the end of each season, I think clubs who know that boys are being released they kind of put them on a on a on the transfer list or the pfa put them on a kind of on a list that gets sent out to all the other clubs i think that's i think that's really good to kind of 
support any kind of transitions from uh, players being released and then instead of just kind of releasing them and being like that's you like we're not going to help you kind of that kind of support from the PFA is, is quite good because obviously it, it keeps them playing football hopefully um, during my experience obviously like I said it was a, a long time ago at Montrose but the kind of only option we kind of got told was to like give it a bash and go and join the juniors as well. There wasn't really any movement between other pro youth teams or other pro youth setups that possibly have like a, an under 18s and under 20s or or stuff like that. But to be fair to Montrose, I think they've they've obviously come a long way uh, in that respect because I think they've changed their 17s to an 18s and I think they're now working with the junior team as part of their kind of set up and as part of that pathway to the first team so back before when I was there it was kind of just a jump between 17s to first team but now I think they've changed that to the 18s and then the junior team I think uh, I think Montrose have signed a few boys from the 18s and then just loaned them out to the junior team to kind of uh, right. kind of get them more game time and stuff like that and I think that's that's a really positive step that they've taken um, but I even like I said, I spoke, I spoke to this with a few other few other pals that I played with at the uni. Like, I think from my experience, the uni was such a good experience, and I think it's such an easy sell to kind of clubs and and players who are kind of um, it's such an easy sell for for the university to, uh, for players who are kind of coming to that point in their career where they're kind of seventeen, eighteen, don't know if they're staying, don't know if they're leaving. I think the uni could go across and just do, you know, simple workshops and just be like, look, we don't know if you're going to kind of progress on. We don't know if you're going to get released, but this is definitely an option for you. Like, if I had that um, after I got released from Montrose, I, I would have joined in a heartbeat. It was just because I was lucky enough to have a pal who was already at still in uni and obviously hearing from it from him, that's why I joined. Mm. Um, but I, I think like joining the uni, I think they would be able to sell it as like, look, come to us, play play first team football in a competitive lowland league, get, you know, a hundred a hundred odd uh, caps under your belt in the lowland league, stay for four years, get a degree at the end of it as well. And I think it's pretty obvious from like myself and I think there's like seven, eight, nine other boys who have kind of made that step from the university level to the to the kind of professional leagues, so I think that would be such an easy sell for them as well. And yeah, I think before I thought there was a lot more clubs can do, and to be fair, there probably always is going to be a lot more clubs can do and kind of that support. But it's definitely progressing from, like I say, from my experience from when I was released, and obviously the work you boys are doing as well is obviously going to be a benefit to those players. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I think a key thing that I'm taking is like pathways, like making sure that young players have a pathway. So it's it's good to hear that Montrose, there's now a bit of a more structured pathway. You know, maybe you go back to the juniors to get more game time, which is going to help you in the long run. And then that pathway that the uni offered, like I didn't know that was a thing until I was in my master's, I don't, I don't think. Not that I would have ever been of the level, but like you say, mate, like a, a simple workshop to to promote it like I think that's a great idea and if no one's doing that already then like 
I don't know, you should be doing it, I suppose. So someone 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 help him out here. Um so like yeah, obviously on to the our sort of next question. You tapped into it a little bit already and at the start as well, but you played first team football for Sterling, you know, you accumulated so many caps in the Lowland League. Um so that's where so Sterling, Sterling play on a Saturday, but they also play Bucks on a Wednesday. So there's there's a lot of a lot of matches that go on. How difficult did you find that balancing education and and, and sport at that level? You mentioned things like 55 games earlier and the sort of load that that must put onto you, especially when you're going into like third and fourth years and big projects, and it must mm. be must be stressful. Yeah, it it was difficult to be fair. Um... You know, at the uni, we trained like a full-time team, pretty much. We trained Mondays at 8 in the morning, and then after that, we were in the gym. Um, if we weren't training on a Tuesday, we were travelling down south uh, to play box games on a Wednesday because we were in the we were the only Scottish team in the kind of top box league, uh, league, which was just full of English teams. You know, we had Nottingham, Durham, Loughborough, uh, teams like that. And then... We'd come back, we'd be at the gym on a Thursday, train on a Thursday, off on a Friday, and then game on a Saturday, off on a Sunday. And that was just kind of, that was that for, for the season, really. And obviously, you're back in for pre-season, because I feel like pre-season's just getting earlier and earlier, because the leagues are all starting back earlier. So, it's not a lot of time off, and that was just from the football side. And on top of that, you've got a you've got a degree as well. So, it was difficult balancing it. Um for me though, I I kind of always kind of put my priority as as football first, and it still is football first to be fair. So and that was just me. Obviously, other boys coming into the team were prioritising their uni, but I feel like at the uni it was such a good setup. I think it would have been silly not to kind of try and make the most of that opportunity. But uh, I, it was difficult. First and second year was obviously a bit more relaxed from the uni side because that's not going towards your degree. Um, COVID hit as well during my time at the uni and obviously that was difficult for everyone um, you know the kind of education side of it was kind of all over the place you know not doing anyone pupils or teachers kind of knew what was supposed to be happening so mm. that that was difficult and at the same time you're kind of playing football you're trying to train you don't know what the restrictions are you know it was a weird time, like wiping the balls down after training and traveling with all the windows down with masks on and that. It was it was just weird, but I feel like lucky at that time because we at least we had that escape of playing football. You know, other people were kind of just locked up in their house. But um, yeah, and then we came to third and fourth year where obviously a lot more emphasis is put on the university side, like you say, we're doing projects and stuff like that. And then in my fourth year, I'm doing my I'm doing my desk and. You've also got that kind of side of the football where you know that by the, at the end of the year you're not going to be there anymore, and that was kind of tough to deal with as well because for me, being at the uni for four years, that was the longest I've been at a club before, so you do get quite attached to it, and then it's a weird one having to leave but not really wanting to leave if you know what I mean. Mm. But you also kind of recognizing yourself that it's the best decision for you to kind of move on and if that opportunity is there at the end of the season to kind of make that step up, then you'd be stupid not to take it, really. But, um, yeah, like I said, I always, I always prioritise my football. So 
in terms of balancing it, it was difficult. But at the end of the day, I always kind of put that first and then caught up with the uni side after. But the uni were also quite good at um, kind of giving boys extensions for their work and stuff like that because, you know, obviously we were, we were training quite a lot. So, And at the same time, you've got to try and have a life outside of both of those things as well. So it's just... Yeah. It's just like I think you touched on it earlier. It's just that kind of identity of being an athlete, being a uni student, and then all the other things going on in your life. So it was difficult, but looking back on it, I, I, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Yeah, bro. Cheers for that. And I, I think our players might be worthwhile looking into that uh, as a potential pathway. Um, if, if that, yeah, if uni is something that they're thinking about doing. Um, just ridiculous just when you mentioned that about COVID, about travelling with the windows down with the, the mask <laughs> on and wiping the balls down. It's just crazy. Uh, it was Looking a weird thing thinking that. back on it, getting changed yeah. in the showers and all that one by one. <laughs> um, weird. Obviously, you, you played with like, a successful team at the uni, though. and I mean, I, I, I played with the uni, the second team, uh, when I was in my Masters. So I was always kind of keeping an eye on the, the first team and it was always you were winning this and winning that. So do you want to tell us about some of the success stories that you had throughout your four, four years playing with Stirling as well? Aye, aye. So we, um, I think we won the Bucks while I was there. Uh, we won it the, the time before COVID. So we won the top uh, Bucks League the time before COVID. COVID hit, it didn't happen then. Then we won it the time after as well. And that was my fourth year. And then obviously I was doing my master's um, uh, last year and I was able to play one game. I think it was the first game of the Bucks. And then they ended oh, yeah. up, the, the team ended up winning the Bucks there. So I'm, I'm claiming I've got three in a row. So I'll, <laughs> I'll take that. But, uh, nah, every team I've, I've played with is really good. I'm lucky that uh, at Bonnyrigg now I've got uh, three boys who I played with at uni as well. Um, so that's good. And, you know, it's always good kind of seeing all the other boys kind of progress and make the step up. Um, but, yeah, I, I would have said we were, we were a very successful team. Obviously, the team last year was even more successful, I think, you know, doing so well in the Scottish Cup and doing so well in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I think um, I really enjoyed it and I think we were, we were successful, especially for, you know, being being students and that everyone gives a stick for that but that was good (laughs) yeah I mean I was I was part of that team as well and when you play Saturday you're getting called these wee posh uni boys and all that part so (laughs) probably didn't help I had a hairband on and I was jumping about thinking (laughs) I was a player which I certainly wasn't so um but I yeah for anyone listening as well Bucks is essentially the uni league in Britain so like Connor played with a team who won the top league in uni football? Like, well, it says three, but we'll say two, like two in a row, which is <laughs> which is crazy. So, um, yeah, fair play on that, mate. And I suppose the success that you had with Stirling put you in the limelight a, a little bit for um, for what happened in your masters. Was I believe it was around about then you moved to Bonnie Rig? Uh, I it was after my fourth year. My fourth year was probably my best year at the uni. I think I scored scored 17, 17 goals, I think it was, in the season. Um, playing Sarah Med, you know, I was vice-captain as well. 
so that was good. And obviously, if you're scoring, teams are gonna teams are gonna notice you. And the gaffer at the uni as well, like he always puts the players first, so he'll do his best to you know kind of get every player a decent move by the time they leave the uni. And you know that's a credit to him. Um, he got me and a bunch of other boys, you know, trials. I think it was it started off about Christmas time. You know, I was trialing with a, a number of different teams. And then by the end of my fourth year, I had a few offers and was just weighing them up. And then, um, yeah, then I signed for Bonnie Rigging that summer. And then I was kind of stuck between, do I just try and find a job or do I kind of do my master's? And then I was looking at the master's uh, available and sports psychology was one of them. And I was like, yeah, that, that really interests me. And I've just done four years now, uh, of uni now. I may as well stay on for, for one more and I think you guys will know more than anything. Like it's hard enough as it is to try and get a job. So kinda of having that masters I felt would kinda of, would kinda of set me apart from a few other people. So I thought it was kind of a no brainer in that respect. So I did my masters during my first season in Bonnerig last year and now I'm in my second season this year. Yeah. That's great. Um Obviously, I'd be really interested to hear about how, what the difference was like playing for Bonnie Rig versus playing um, for a student team. But just before we got onto that, Brad, what were your stats for the second team compared to uh, Connor's? Just <laughs> uh, we, I played in the probably the worst Stolen Twos team there's ever been, <laughs> probably because I was in it. Like I played for Abote for four years, who were always in the top league, and Stolen were always in it. And uh, we played Bucks and managed to get relegated for the top league for the first time in a while. I think nine games, I got nine games, or ten games, got beat off Abate, so all my old mates, got beat off them, got a draw off them, got beat off Edinburgh like 14-0 away uh, and scored one goal. And I think we got relegated with like four points. So cheers for that, mate. Um, so, and then on the Saturday, we were mid-table-ish. But, you know, COVID helped us out. Can't, Covid helped us out and cancelled the season, so that was nice. <laughs> so, cheers for that, mate. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry. I just thought it'd be interesting to get a little bit of context there of, of Brad versus. Connor. Oh, and by the way, my goal was an absolute like tap in. I think it just hit off me away at Glasgow, <laughs> so claimed it. Really? Um, yeah, so I mean, Connor, back back to sort of uh, the first question I had for you there. What was the difference you found playing for Bonnie Rig versus playing for uh, the Sterling first team? I think the main difference I felt is there was a lot more kind of pressure on you to perform because mm-hmm. with with the uni team, like I said, you've got two games, you've got two games a week. So say I was playing on a Saturday and I didn't have the best of games, I'm kind of thinking to myself, right, it's it's not the end of the world, you know. I've got training on Monday, I've got training on Tuesday, and then the game on a Wednesday. I can kind of get myself back up for it, perform well, and get myself back in the team and just forget about it. Whereas you kind of feel that pressure instantly when the league starts, you know, when you're playing in League Two, it's like, especially for us as Bonnerig, we were a new team coming into it. So our main goal was just, you know, stay in the league. So every point you're you're kind of fighting for everything. And comes to a Saturday, and if you don't perform, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, I've only got training on a Tuesday, training on a Thursday, and then another game in a week. It's, it's not really a long time to kind of, 
prove to yourself and prove to the manager as well. So if you have a bad game, it's not really a lot of time to to prove to them why you should either keep your place or um I or or be starting. So I feel like uh, the pressure was definitely definitely one thing I noticed that was that was a lot more and to be fair the uh, the gaffer at the uni always said that he was like it's going to be a lot more cutthroat at League Two and League One and the higher leagues because you know if you're not performing that's you that's out that's like that's you done um, especially if you're not performing for a while the gaffer might think right sell him I'll get another boy in that'll do better so that's all kind of run through your head where you're but you're trying to perform and obviously you're trying your hardest not to think about that and just focus on the game and I've definitely gotten better at that but yeah that was it was kind of a shock to deal with uh, at the time when I first joined because it was like one bad pass one mistake I'm kind of thinking oh that'll be me out of the team next week Um, but you've just kind of got to get on with it and do your best and not let that creep in your head because like it it's just part of the game. I would say as well, uh, there's a lot more emphasis on you to kind of do your own thing out with training. Because like I said, at the uni, we trained like a full-time team. So all you really had to do was turn up. And, you know, uh, whereas in League Two, like I said, you train twice a week. You've got to keep yourself ticking over. You know, you've got a, you're not a uni anymore, so you don't have sash. You've got to get a job. You've, you've got to do a lot of stuff. So, yeah, they were probably the the biggest changes that I noticed uh, from making that step up but um, but yeah yeah it's great it's very interesting again really good insight there and yeah obviously I don't know if you will have the answer for it or not but you know what were some of the things that you perhaps did to make that transition into into league two a little bit more I guess successful because you're, you're still there there now um at the start, I was kind of, like I said, I was lucky in a sense to still be a student. So I still was getting my sass while I was playing there. So I kind of treated it as if I still was kind of training as much as I, I would be at the uni. So, you know, we would train on a Tuesday and a Thursday, but I'd be making sure I was, you know, in the gym on a Monday and the gym on a, uh, on a Thursday and the gym on a Wednesday, you know, kind of keeping myself ticking over because I felt like if I didn't, then the levels would drop. Um, obviously, studying the Masters in Psychology while kind of making that step up was really beneficial as well because, you know, you get your eyes open to all these mental skills that you might not realise would benefit your performance. So kind of trying to implement that into playing at the same time probably helped me a lot as well. And... I suppose it's like anything if you if you stick at it and you know you keep turning up and you keep doing what you're doing you get used to the level and you get up to speed with the the new way of playing and stuff like that and you've just kind of got just got to perform when it matters and yeah I was I was lucky enough to be you know offered a new contract for this year and yeah now I'm just trying to make the most of that and and play well yeah fantastic yeah good stuff mate and what about your time at Bonnie Rig? You must have some some highlights. Some probably players would be interested to know who the best players are that you've played against. So if you could share any insight, mm-hmm. that'd be great. Um, I probably the highlights would have been 
making my debut. I think I made my debut against, I think it was, I came on as a sub against Clyde in the, in the, in that pre-season cup. Um, so that was, that was definitely one of the highlights. Um, what else? Sc- scoring my first goal. Uh, scored against Elgin. Uh, that was a highlight. Uh, and then obviously, like, playing against good players, you're playing against good teams, especially in that cup where, you yeah. know, I think, um, I, I think it was the VA Play Cup last year. I think outside the top four, Celtic and Rangers, um, they weren't in it this year. But Hibs won it uh, my first season at Bonnerig and we got Hibs in the we got heads in the group. We played them at home to, you know, a, a packed out New Dundas Park. I think there was like two and a half thousand people there. It was one of my first games for the club. Um, I think it was this. I think it was the game after Clyde. So after I came on as a sub, and then I started against Hibs at home, and you know, kind of noticing that difference in level was was crazy. You know, coming up, I'd say the best player I've probably played against and still to this day has probably been Joe Neal in the middle because I was center mid and off against him and it was just it was just the way they played you know everything was sharp everything was done at such an intensity in that um so I that that was that was a it was a weird one it was a good experience but we got beat so it was kind of a, a bad experience as well but you just try to have to take as much as you can from the from those type of games it was like this season in the cup as well, you know, I, I thought thought we actually did pretty well. You know, we got beat two one against Inverness, uh, another full time team. We got beat one uh, 0 against Dundee. Um, I think it was one 0 We got beat against Airdrie as well. So tight games against you know full time opposition. But mm. like I said, all good experiences, and you just got to take you just got to take what you can from them and kind of try and use that to improve your own game. Yeah. Yeah, quality. I mean, uh, chasing Joe and Yule about the park in front of two and a half thousand people, I'm glad <laughs> that you somehow managed to enjoy that. So, I know. Uh, I know. fair play. Uh, but like you say, you just need to take what you can from from those experiences. And that's amazing that you actually got the chance to, to play against those guys. Another kind of point I was thinking there when you were speaking, it's like you said it's crazy to see the intensity like um, like in the flesh, I suppose, when you're actually on the park. Because I think sometimes when you watch football, you just think it looks easy, like when you're there yeah. running about. But I suppose when you go into that, it's just like full throttle, like just intensity. Yeah. It's crazy. Even at a team like Hibs, like no disrespect to Hibs, but I mean, it's not like Barcelona or that, but it just right. shows you how like intense these boys really are and how like professional they are. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's the, that's the main difference I've noticed. You know, kind of you were saying earlier between the leagues, like the Lowland League and League Two, like no matter if you're really good technically on the ball or or that, everyone is everyone is fit. You know, everyone mm-hmm. is built to run ninety minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and then even playing against like Premiership sides, it's it's even more of a difference. Moving on a bit then, mate. Um, on the on this podcast, we talk a lot about redefining what making it is because I think a lot of young players out there think like you mentioned with that positive snowball thing earlier that making it is only making 100 appearances for the the first team at the academy that you're at or it's only playing in the Premier League or it's only playing professional so in your opinion what is making it in sport or in football? 
Um, for me, I think making it is 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 quite subjective. I think it's it's definitely up for interpretation, like you say. Um, my definition of making it, in my own experience, is kind of I've always said, you know, like the the gaffer Chris Gaze at the uni asked me when I joined, he was like, you know, what where do you want to go from here? What do you what do you want to do? And I've always said I just want to play at the highest level football that I possibly can. And you know, obviously, seeing the questions when you sent them over, I was kind of thinking about it, and I think that's quite good of not having a. It's it's good and bad because it's not a definite goal of playing at the highest level that you can. But I feel like when some people set these goals, like what you're saying, maybe an academy players thinking making it is making a hundred appearances for the the academy or whatnot. I'm always quite wary about that because my thought is, say the player does do that, you know. Where, where does he go from there? Because in, in in his head he's made it, and then it's kind of you're kind of at that stage again where you're thinking, right, what do I do from here? Whereas for me, making it like I said, I just think playing at the highest level I possibly can is is kind of a good definition because no matter what, I feel like I can always push myself to go to go further. Um, you know, if I was at uh, if I was still at junior level right now and I said making it is, you know, making over a hundred appearances for this junior team, I would I would I don't think I'd be in the position I am today playing in League Two and I think I wouldn't I wouldn't set myself a, a goal that's too easily achievable as as the definition of making it because like I said, once you're there it's kind of where do you go from here? It's obviously good to have goals, you know, short term goals, long term goals, but I think making it's quite a definitive goal and I think as like the end goal I think for me I think the end goal should be and for other boys I think they should set the end goal as high as possible and just try their best to achieve it because at least then you can say you know when you're done playing football you can look back on it and say you know I did my best I didn't I didn't kind of leave any potential out there I kind of maximised what I could out of the game and I I think that's quite a good definition to look at. But like I said, it's up for interpretation and it's quite subjective. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's really good that as you said, it is subjective and it is down to everyone's interpretation because we've all got our own goals in life, what stuff that we're working towards. And it's just like I say, I think everyone's perspective changes and it's and it is that way of I think it's so hard to just come up with that sort of oh I definitely made it because I reached this level or I've made it because I did this. I think as we say, a lot of people they feel like they've made it because they're still working within sport. A lot of people say they made it because they're still playing semi-professional and they're still involved. We've had Craig Clark come on in way back in season one at the very start and said that he, he views making it as just sort of seeing um, academy players that he used to coach, seeing going and seeing them train at more, perhaps one of the lower league um, semi-professional clubs, but they're still loving it and they're still enjoying the game. So... Yeah, I think making it is, uh, I'm glad you said it is just completely down to your own interpretation of what it is. And I think it is that way of if you're happy with where you've got to, then that's all that really matters. So, yeah, really good. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I think all the people you mentioned there, like their definition of making it is all valid. Um, I feel like for me, I just wouldn't want to put that cap on myself of making it. Like if I said... Yeah, making it for me is reaching League Two. I don't think I would ever try and, you know, push myself to 
go higher than that, I think I would just kind of in so uh, subconsciously kind of settle for League Two. But in my kind of interpretation of making it is just kind of pushing to play at the highest level. I think you know there's always room to kind of go further. Yeah, totally agree with everything that both of you have said, and I, I like the definition that you've given, uh, Connor. So, so cheers for that, mate. Just moving on, conscious of, of time as well. Football is more than just a game, and sport is more than just you know competing. It can be a sort of lifestyle, or you know, it can shape careers. So, how has it shaped your personal and professional development to get you to where you are today? Maybe some of the skills that you've picked up along your football journey that have helped you? Yeah, I think the I think the main one I've definitely taken from kind of my journey through football is kind of the relationships you build with the other people that are involved, whether it be, you know, your teammates, um, your coaches, you know, other people in and around the club and stuff like that. I think for me, that's the main one that I've kind of seen that's helped me de- develop, you know, into the person I am today and yeah it's crazy thinking back because you don't realise it like players or coaches that you make a relationship with right at the start can then come back and help you or play with you you know further down in, in your life and stuff like that and yeah I, I feel like from just kind of the football side of it those kind of relationships you build you know especially the ones I build uh, or I've built um with you know boys and players at the uni like like I mentioned before we trained all the time we trained together you know four or five times a week played together twice a week and then on top of that you know we lived with each other because we were at uni um you've probably know it as well Brad like those relationships you make with the boys that you're you're seeing almost every day of your life for you know four years of your life they they they're gonna last forever like it's friends yeah. of life you make there and definitely outside of football that's that's definitely something that um i'm not going to take for granted you know those relationships that you make um going back to the very start um you know having an, an snc coach and then um him kind of being a part of my life through my development from uh, pro youth to then junior to then coming to the uni and you know I think he's the strength and conditioning coach at Montrose right now so that relationship um, that I've got with him is always going to be beneficial to me and always has been beneficial to me you know he's been he's been so good with my development over the years and then uh, obviously the coach at the uni Chris as well he um He's been massive in my development, you know, as a player and as a person, I think. Like I said, um, being at the uni for four years was the longest I've been at any club. And I think it's definitely the most I've improved as a player. Absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that's absolutely down to him. So, yeah, I think more than anything outside of the actual game, the the relationships I've built is something that, um, something that I've taken away from obviously being involved in football and that. Yeah, I think relationship building is so important and it's something that we always encourage for players to, you know, use the people around them when you're in that academy setup because you don't know when it's going to end and that person might help you down the line with something else. So it's, it's good to hear you've exactly. had similar, similar experiences. And I think another thing was probably 
you're basically in a, in a roundabout way saying that going to Tingo on a Wednesday night where we are pals <laughs> is helping you. So there you go. Enjoy your first, enjoy your first and second year at uni. Where you can. Or all four, eh? <laughs> or all four. Um, you mentioned some people there, mate. Um, that ties into our next question, and maybe you'll mention them again. But who have been your biggest influences and, and why? Um. Starting off has definitely been uh, my mum and dad. You know, I think um, going back to the making it question that you were saying there, and it's kind of like, as long as you're happy, um, that's kind of their definition of making it. And for my mum and dad, they've always kind of said to me, you know, as long as I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I'm doing what I want and I'm not hurting anybody, then they're going to support me completely. And I think, obviously, my dad being a football fan as well, he's he's definitely been there to support me through my development as a as a player and obviously as a person as well. It's quite funny thinking back to it because they both of them would always come watch me play and I could play the worst game I've ever played or I could play the best game I've ever played. My mum's always going to come and say, wow, yeah, I thought you played really good. And my dad's always going to come back and say, you could have done this, you could have done that. Um, but that's you know that's how it is and I feel like that's definitely benefited me um but yeah they've always supported me in anything I do so I think as an influence they're probably my main one and then I've I've mentioned the other two as well I'd put down as my my biggest influences and uh, the first one would have been my SNC coach from when I was younger I think I I joined his kind of um his kind of SNC coaching fit for purpose. I joined when I was when I was thirteen, I think it was, and I've been, you know, been working with him from the thirteen to when I joined uni, um, and yeah, he's been a massive, uh, massive help for me, you know, developing as a as a player and as a person as well. Um, he's he's been a he's been a big influence because just you know the kind of knowledge he's kind of provided me from the sports science kind of things, you know, the recovery, the support he's he's given me and the knowledge he's given me from kind of the recovery side of it. And that's obviously been massively beneficial to me because like I said, at the uni, you play so many games. So his support in that respect has been, has been great. And then obviously seeing him, um, I think he was, last time I spoke to him, he was obviously working as head S&C coach at Montrose. And he's also been working with, um, you know, the SNC coaches at some Premier League uh, clubs down south, like the the Arsenal SNC coach. He's been doing stuff for him. Um, so yeah, he's been a major influence. And then, like I said in the question before, um, my gaff at the uni, Chris Kids, he's been a major influence on on the football side of it. Absolutely, I yeah, I don't I don't think I'd be I'd be playing in League Two, or I don't think I'd be the player I am if it wasn't for you know, his kind of support and, and guidance in the, in those four years at the uni. Um so I I I'd say them as my as my biggest influences. Uh brilliant mate. And next question, what are your your top three tips for looking after your own well being? Like if you're feeling down or just feeling a bit low, what sort of things might you do to help that? The main one would uh, probably be kinda just go and surround yourself with with your with your pals and you know like uh, 
a good group of friends, I think that's that's majorly important, you know, having that you'd probably class it as a support network, but I feel like that's quite I don't know, for some players that might be quite a, or for some people that might be quite a, like an official term of like having people as like a support network, but yeah. I think everyone I think everyone's got their own support network that they might not even realise is there. If you know what I mean, like your friends, your family, I think looking after your well being, I think I don't think there's I think there's only a handful of times I can say where I've came away from, you know, spending time with my friends or family and I've thought that was rubbish. I, f- I feel worse than I did before. I don't think I don't think you would feel say if you are feeling down, I think you're only gonna feel better if you go and spend time with, you know, the people that make you feel good. Um so that'd be one tip. I think having a routine as well. I think that's massively important to, you know, supporting your health and well being. Um, I think having that routine and you know, when you're getting up in the morning you're like, right, I've got this, this, this and kinda checking those things off are obviously gonna provide you with some satisfaction, make you feel good. They're obviously going to take your mind off of whatever it is that might be making you feel down. Um, and my last tip would probably just be do something you enjoy. You know what I mean? Just get out there, do something you enjoy. I wouldn't recommend if you're feeling down to be, you know, laying in bed all day and just kind of thinking, like for me, if I have a bad game, at the start I'm probably wanting to just go right back to my bed and just stay there for the rest of the weekend and, you know, not see anyone, not do anything, but I'm never going to feel any better after doing that. So I feel like doing something you enjoy that's going to take your mind off whatever it is that may be making you feel down is is definitely another thing that's going to benefit you. Like, for me at the moment, I think I'm slowly getting into golf and I'm honestly rubbish at it. Like, I'm <laughs> probably the worst player you can play with, but I don't know. It's just something about, you know, getting out there with your pals for like four hours, you know, no phones, nothing like that. Just kind of having some good crack and stuff like that. I think aye, that may, that's, that's, that's what I do anyway. It definitely makes me feel good until I play like four rubber shots and then I feel rubbish again and I'm raging. <laughs> definitely no, relate something, mate. Brutal yeah. sport, go. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Cheers for that, mate. Um, and then lastly, probably given loads throughout this already, but do you have any advice for young players or academy players? If you think back to when you were in that position, what type of thing would you, or what type of advice do you think you would really have valued? What can our players take away from this? But for advice, I think everyone's kind of got their own way of kind of kind of coping through setbacks and stuff like that so it's more of just a message to boys who may have been released or who are coming up to that point in their career where it's either you make the step up or you or you you get the axe I think my message would be not to worry it's not the be all and end all you know if you're at that point in your career you're only what 16 17 18 you've got so many options, so many different pathways you can go down. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much. Obviously, it feels like a, like a, like a massive part of your life's been taken away, but it's 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 not that deep. I I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about it. I would just say, keep playing, you know, keep doing what you love, and then um, I I just I just it, 
it's not the be all and end all. There's definitely many other options and many other pathways that you can take to get to where you want to be. Yeah, solid, mate. I like that. Uh, Tony, do you have any closing thoughts just before we, we wrap up? Just uh, obviously been been quiet for a couple, a good few minutes now. I think obviously the advice there at the end is brilliant. I think there's so many pathways you can go down. I think sometimes we can get so fixated on one route. You say almost that snowball of like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and then that's going to happen. And then sometimes, you know, when one of the spokes on the wheel goes, you, you know, can fall apart and crumble. But it's just about making sure that you don't get um, yeah, fixated on on that one route and you do look at your options and again, lean on those people that you're going to have around you. Um, and that touches upon sort of that that social support network. I really liked how you said, like, you know, your friends do play a big role on that. Of course, it is a bit... I guess I'd say it's a bit deep to be like, you know, turn around and say, oh, my friends in my social support network, but, but they are, you know, the people you surround yourself with, the people you surround yourself with, you know, they're, they're going to bring you joy and you're going to feed off their energy. So I know I was similar to you when I was at university, I was heavily involved in the sports team and that's where some of my closest friends came from. And they've seen it. They saw me, especially at uni, when you go through so many experiences, they're always through some of the best times and some of the worst times and we're still, you know, super close now. So yeah, really good advice. Yeah, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, chatting to you, Connor. It's been it's been brilliant. Um, some solid advice for our players in there, and hopefully some of them might start to think about that kind of dual career with the football and education like that is possible. Stalin's mm-hmm. a good one, um, but you've also got a lot of opportunities in the states, I, I think, as well, or or even uh, down south as well, I'm sure. So certainly look into it. It's a good way to play football. And, and as you mentioned, Connor, like you get a degree at the end of it as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, brilliant. Um, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, hope we hope everyone out there has enjoyed, uh, enjoyed listening to it. So do try and connect with our socials. We're on, you know, on Instagram at ypw underscore podcast. We've got our Twitter up and running, which is ypw academy. Um, so you know, go and check those out if you haven't already. Um, we've had some great feedback um, as well, which has been really good to see. So if that can just keep coming through, that's great. It motivates myself and Brad to keep working on this. I think, which is you know really key, and it's great that we're starting to reach out to more and more people. Yeah, definitely. What Tony said. Uh, <laughs> cheers for coming on, Connor. Nah, yeah, cheers for having you. me on, lads. I've, uh, I've enjoyed this chat. Eh? So, another brilliant episode there. Um, and as always, we're getting on to the reflection part of episodes. So without further ado, because I know it's been another long one, we'll get straight on to it. Brad, what was your first key takeaway from this episode? I think the first key takeaway I'd have from chatting to Connor, I enjoyed when he talked about having someone there to support him through transitions and, you know, reflecting on his own experience at Montrose and how he could have benefited from someone who would be there to support him through that transition. I think it reflects quite well on us at the Young Player Wellbeing Academy and that we are trying to promote that 
you know those coping strategies early on in their career and in the hopes that when they they do face difficult transitions that those coping strategies help and I like that we are that designated person that can help them through difficult moments as well like transitions so yeah I enjoyed the the parallels between Connor's career and what he would have liked to have had in place versus what we're offering now and it's good to see there's been steps made in the right direction. Yeah, excellent, Brad. I, I couldn't agree more. I think what was really good was that he was almost coming from that perspective of like he'd been the player, he'd, he'd been through those similar experiences that I'm sure some young players listening to this podcast will be going through now. And I liked how the language he used around it, so it was that being stuck and, and almost not having a clear direction and you know, those sort of issues that are really common. Um, it was good to hear him speak about those. So, yeah, brilliant points to bring up. And I think a, a key thing for our players to perhaps think about is that idea that you know it, it doesn't have to be big things that you come to us to talk about. It can just be the little things. Um, and I think um, and Anthony Cato as well spoke really, really clearly and really well about that too. So, yeah, it's good to hear that a lot of our guests have similar themes. Probably my favourite part of the podcast was when he spoke about the positive snowball versus the negative snowball. You know, when things are going well for us, you know, we think it's just going to keep going well and keep going well. And, you know, versus when it's negative, um, we think about, oh no, this is just going to keep on happening forever. So I think the key takeaway from that was that perspective is, is really important. So don't just assume that things are going to continue the way that they're going take a time to step back and identify what it is you could be doing better in order to get yourself out of that negative snowball and in the same vein don't just assume that things are going to just continue to go well for no reason if things are going well for you then make sure you've identified why they're going well and make sure you're working hard and keeping it that way yeah see just on that as well brad like what was great was he he spoke about the shift from playing for the university's first team to then go and play for Bonnie Rick and what was what was great was he, he made reference to sort of the the work that he'd done uh, in his masters with sports psychology he said how that had actually transferred across and helped him um, when he was playing football and it helped helped him with his performance side so I think that's really interesting so you can just see how you know when perhaps things aren't snowballing as positively for you and you've got to sort of try and develop some of that resilience you can see or he made reference to exactly just how impactful sports psychology can be in in doing that and helping players achieve that just wary of time of course so i'm just going to get your final reflection before we close things off for today's episode the last point's probably on when he spoke about what making it is and I liked that he spoke about it being very subjective and for him making it was playing to the highest level possible and he even told that to his manager when he signed at Stirling Uni. You know, the, the part of it I liked was when he mentioned setting easy goals isn't really good for your motivation. So for example, he said, if I set goals to play in League 2, then he's already made that goal, so how is he going to kick on and start performing better? Because subconsciously you've already met the goal that you set so I think that for for motivation purposes it's good to sort of leave that goal quite loose as long as it works for him because that's just going to make him want to play at the top of his ability as much as possible in order to play at the highest level which was of course his goal 
Yeah, really excellent point that you made there, Brad, at the end. I, I really like the idea that he did sort of say that it is subjective and it's down to everyone's own interpretation. So yeah, really good point and good that we've touched upon that again. I think it's something that our players can, again, um, take away from, from this episode. Um, yeah, another fantastic episode. Um, thank you to everyone that's listened in and um, hopefully you're looking forward to our next episode that we've got coming up.